Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. Really? Good morning. My friends are ridiculous. I pay them well. Good morning. I am so excited to be here. I love being, we love being a part of Restoration. Our family is so blessed to be here, but I love this particular sermon series for so many reasons. And one is, I think it's such a bold choice. There are people throughout this country that are leaving the church in droves because they don't have someone to come alongside them when they are doing their own deconstruction. And so I'm excited that in this particular week, we're not only gonna talk about our own grapplings with faith, we get to have some practical ways to how Jesus came alongside people who are struggling and how we can do the same. So when I uh, attended college, when I was deciding where to go to college, I was new in my faith. I did not grow up in a Christian home. And um, my parents were a little, I'm, I'm gonna say adverse to my new religious whatever. They didn't quite know what to do with me. But when it came time to to choose a college, I decided that I wanted to attend Grand Canyon University. It was a Bible college uh, that was closest to us and I had some friends who were going, but it's what I really wanted. And so I went to my parents and I told them and my dad especially said, "We we will support you wherever you go, but we won't help you pay for it if you go to a Bible college. And so I showed them and I got student loans. What up, right? I did, and I feel so blessed that the very first person that I shared a room with uh, was a lady named Charity. She's still living strong for the Lord, but she was a pastor's kid. She was all the things I wasn't. She had all this rich biblical history. She knew the scriptures. I was like, I know John 3.16, I got that. And so uh, it was such a great blessing to to share life with her. And one of the greatest gifts that she gave me is that she, when she was in the Bible and she learned something fantastic, because we had different work schedules, I was actually, I worked in order to pay for school, I worked as a night auditor, so I worked 11 at night to seven in the morning. But if she had, thank you, that's exactly, thank you for feeling me, that's how it felt. But if she had a really great quiet time, she would put a post-it note with the verse that she'd read. And so sometimes I'd come home and it, it was so rich. And let's, let's be honest, there's some verses in the Bible, even if you just extrapolate one verse, you're like, oh, that's like a sermon. You know, come near to the Lord and he will come near to you. It's like, oh yes, that is so rich, that is so delicious. And so there was one time that I came home and it was not just a post-it note and it not, did not just say scripture, but that she had like happy faces and rainbows. And so I was like, okay, here we go. I can't wait to dive in. I was like preparing myself. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. I can't wait to dive into this. And I opened up the scripture, go to the address that she put me on, and it said, you should not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. (laughs) Well, praise the Lord. Thank you so much for that. And I remember thinking, you know, maybe there's like some Bible handshake where people understand what that means. That doesn't mean anything to me. And so I finally humbly said to her, okay, Charity, I give. Why, why that verse? And she goes, oh my gosh, I was just kidding. I just thought it was hilarious. It's like, well, thank you. 
sometimes when we read stories in the Bible, when we, we read passages, some of them kind of feel like that young goat in its mother's milk kind of thing, where we don't really know how to unpack it. And then in contrast, sometimes we read the scriptures and it's so clear, not only God's promises, but these practical ways that we can put Jesus' example into practice. And so I'm excited to share, we're gonna, we're gonna dive into a story. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn them on or turn them to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we're gonna start with verse 11. You're welcome to follow along with me. I will do my best to read. While traveling to Jerusalem, he, meaning Jesus, passed between Samaria and Galilee. I'm gonna stop right there. Uh, for, to give you a little bit of context, Samaria and Galilee were not best friends forever. They were not BFFs. In fact, there was a lot of animosity. It was pretty much like every NFL team and the Cowboys. And nobody, they did not like each other. That's the way it is. As a Cowboys fan, I can, I can say that. But there was a lot of animosity. And so Jesus was uh, traveling between these two places. He entered a village. Ten men with serious skin diseases met him. They stood at a distance and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were healed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, uh, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Did any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told them, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. I do believe, I love this particular section because you have this story where it's possible these lepers themselves, when they were isolated in the leper colonies, had done some reconstructions themselves. When they saw Jesus, even though they may not have met him already, they said, Lord, you know, master, save us. So they may have done some reconstruction of their own. But the reason that I think this is so fantastic is here is this beautiful illustration of how Jesus loves people who are different than he is and how we can do the same. Now, I told you that I went to Bible college, both my undergrad and master's degree, so I was brainwashed or challenged or I don't even trained that everything needed to have like three points or it had to be alliteration or it had to be a poem. And so here it is. We're gonna talk about the six ways, the six sections of this that I feel like are really uh, important for us to look at when it talks to not only our re D and reconstruction of our faith, but coming alongside somebody and doing the same. The first one is sight. It says, when he saw them. Now, I do believe he physically saw them. And again, what's interesting is leper colonies were, were off to the side normally. They were the disenfranchised because they had a skin disease that not only was probably gnarly, there are some crazy stories, biblical historians can go into great detail and it can get pretty gruesome. But the truth is, they were set aside because ceremonially, uh, according to Levitical law, they would be unclean, and so you didn't want to spend any time with them. You wanted to distance yourself from them. So they had these little colonies that they would be separated just in case somebody came along. And yet God made sure that Jesus wasn't there just in case. He was there on purpose. And not only did he see them, like, oh, yep, there they are. He saw them. He saw their hurt, he saw their need, he saw, he saw their struggle. And I think that is so fantastic. We certainly can get so busy that we can zip by people and not really see them. 
And not only that, we fail to show empathy when that happens, when we zip through life and do our only our own um, agendas, we have a tendency to miss out on something fantastic. So when Scott and I were dating, um, my very cute husband, Scott, uh, if you all don't know him, I don't have an ugly husband, it's just the one, but he's really cute. And when we, were, um, when we were dating, I made a terrible strategic move. And it's that his mother was getting her master's degree in counseling and needed a non-family member to help her with her homework. Well, Scott and I weren't married, so I was like, I, I would love to help you. Looking back, top 10 stupidest choices I've ever made as a human. <laughs> And uh, one of her homework assignments, she came in and she said, she just gave me a blank eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And she said, okay, Amberly, I would like for you to draw a tree. And I said, oh, Jan, like I'm terrible at art. Like my stick figures are always given extra limbs. Like I'm the worst. Like I'm the worst. She said, no, 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 it has nothing to do with your artistry. I just want you to draw a tree. And I said, okay, well, what kind of tree? And she says, I, I can't give you any more instructions. My my assignment says I'm just supposed to ask you to draw a tree. So I said, okay, so, all right. So I start to conjure a tree in my mind. Big tree, lots of foliage, super cool, probably 80s hair foliage. I mean, it's huge with this gnarly, I love gnarly bark. I think that's so fantastic. I got these cool roots that kind of stick up over the ground. I mean, this is epic. And then I put a, a, a knot in the middle of the tree. I always think a tree somehow seems more epic if it has one of those knots in it. I, I keep expecting to like walk into Narnia or Winnie the Pooh is going to show up in those little knots, but they tell a story. Now, of course, knots in trees are made when there's damage. Some kind of animal damages it or erosion or whatever it happens to be. But I love those. I love those knots. So when I made my tree, I definitely had to have one of those knots. So my mother and I said, okay, I think, I think I'm done. I was pretty stoked, y'all. It actually looked like a tree. Like you could look at it and say, hmm, tree, right? And so I'm thinking like, okay, I'm kind of a big deal. Here I am. And my mother-in-law says, okay, so your tree is in the middle of your paper. That's good. That means you're balanced, which is like, you guys don't know anything in counseling. I'm a disastrous mess, but okay. And she said, I love that the foliage is nice and healthy. That says a lot. She said, Tell me about these roots. I said, oh, I just love when like roots are all gnarly and they have all this character. And she said, I think it's interesting that none of your root system goes into the ground. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> so I said, oh yeah, that's interesting. And she said, okay, now what about this knot? And I'm like, I don't know, I just love them. I think they're super, they've got super character. She said, Amberly, if this is a tree and this tree represents you, what is the knot? And all of a sudden I'm like, <laughs> right? She asked me to kind of unpack what that is. And at that time, the biggest knot in my tree came from my parents' divorce. It was crushing. Two people I love like crazy who hated each other with such fervor. It was crushing for me. And that was my knot. And you know what's interesting in God's economy, only in God's economy does this math make sense. But when I became a speaker and God called me to a speaking ministry, guess what part of my life was the part that God used the most to connect to other people to allow me to see them. It wasn't the healthy foliage, it was my knot. And as I went on, things like our infertility became a knot that not only uh, allowed me to see the goodness of God, but also allowed me to see people I hadn't seen before because for whatever reason, we could connect like that. Jesus is perfect. And he was perfect when he walked on the ground, so it wasn't a sin issue that he could relate to this uh, leper, but he chose to see them. 
He chose to empathize with them. Because what's your, the knots of your tree are different than the knots of my tree, right? But we have the opportunity to connect with others and say, I, I see you. In Spanish, there's this cool thing. I speak Spanish, but one of my favorite Spanish sayings is lo siento, which we always translate as I'm sorry, but that's not what it means. It means I feel it. And we as believers can say to other people who are struggling, not that we're Jesus and they're lepers, but just disconnection, right? We can say, I feel it. Even if the knots look different, I feel it. And I'm so thankful that Jesus chose to see me. He chose to see you. And he chose to see these lepers in their hurt and their suffering. So the S is, the first S is sight. The second S is schedule. And this is the one that cleans my clock. Jesus had stuff to do, y'all. He was the son of God. He had things to do and people to see, right? And yet he took the time to stop and see them. He not only took the time to see them, he took the time to stop and be with them. We're busy people. In fact, to be honest with you, I think our default, when people say, hey, how are you doing? What do we say? We're what? Busy. Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. Just so busy. There's just so much busyness. And the truth is, rarely do the traumas that happen to the people we love occur when we have a break in our schedule. Right? It's like, friend, you are welcome to lose your ever loving mind, but you could only do it on Tuesday between 11.15 and 12.02. Right? No. Oftentimes when people need us, it is terribly inconvenient. It's the middle of the night. It's the phone call in the middle of dinner. It's, it interrupts our schedule. And if we love others like Jesus did, we're gonna interrupt our schedule. And for some of you, that is like torture. Like, no, no, I, I've got all the, it's such a, well, here's the deal. Jesus came to earth, interrupted the patterns of this earth to come to show his love for each of us. And we should do the same forever. Love is patient and kind but it's rarely convenient or on our time schedule. So that's the schedule. So we have sight, we have schedule. He stopped and took the time. And then we have strength. I love this. And he was a Samaritan, which just so you know, if you can, if you can conjure like the snootiest Samaritan, right? It's so fantastic. But what I love is the strength of Jesus, who not only proclaimed God good, God's goodness by the way he saw this Samaritan, these Samaritans, these, these lepers, but also showed the community that was following him, this is the way that we love people. Despite our differences, we show God's strength in the midst of it. He didn't focus on what others might think, and let's be honest, he could have, fo- he could have faced some pretty major pushback from his followers, from religious leaders, like, what? Those are lepers, they've got, they've got issues to their tissues, right? Literally, to their tissues. But he didn't care what they thought. Even, even Jesus chose to essentially follow his father despite the fact that he might get some flack for it from his, the people around him. And Christians can be, we can absolutely fall this way. Those of us who call Jesus our Lord, we 100% can follow into this. Where we get so concerned about what other people think, especially other Christians, because let's just be real for a second, we can be the most judgy McJudgerton people against one another. We can. I love you, but I'm just letting you know I've judged you probably sometimes since we've gone to church together, <laughs> right? And I may have gotten your, your judgment as well. But I love that Jesus cast aside what the approval of others, because he was only concentrated on the approval of God. 
And when we, as believers, struggle in our faith, the best, most healthy thing we can do is say to someone else, I'm struggling, this is hard. But it's also the most vulnerable because we open ourselves up for judgment. And if we're gonna deconstruct our faith and reconstruct it, because that's the goal, right? It's not just tear it down. It's re-examine and then build it back up even stronger. We have to be willing to ask ourselves the hard questions. Timothy Keller, incredible theologian, just recently passed away. I'm just crazy about him. He knew a ton, and yet he saw the value of deconstruction and reconstruction, reevaluation. I think this is so great. I'm going to share this. It's a honking quote, but it is so rich. He says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and neighbors. It's no longer sufficient to hold beliefs just because you inherited them. Only if you struggle long and hard with objections to your faith will you be able to provide grounds for your beliefs to skeptics, including yourself, that are plausible rather than ridiculous or offensive. And just as important for our current situation, such a process will lead you, even after you come to a position of strong faith, to respect and understand those who doubt. That's from his book, The Reason for God. This great theologian gives you and I a permission slip to have doubts, and we do. Man, y'all, I can sing my face off at this church. I love the worship part, like the music part of worship in this church. I can sing so loud and hard. He won't, he, he won't fail, he won't fail, he won't fail. And I can, man, in the midst of it, I believe it. And then this last week, I got a call and my mom has lung cancer. And I have to say, do I believe it? He won't fail. No matter what that, how, no matter how it turns out, even if it's not the happy ending, as Nate said, it, it's not always how we think it's going to be. Do I believe that he's real? Do I believe that he's big? Do I believe he can handle it? Do I trust my mom to the God who knit her together in her mother's womb? Do I trust? Do I believe he won't fail? There is power in asking them oneself those questions and there's strength in asking those questions in our groups, in our small groups. This, these last couple of weeks, it's been such a joy to unpack God's word and these concepts with other people who are just sojourners like me, just trying to do the best we can to love Jesus with our whole hearts. There is power in that. Jesus modeled it and we can, without judgment, unpack those things which I think is so great. So sight, schedule, strength, and then we get to shepherd. I love that Jesus is a good shepherd. But I also love in his shepherding, he didn't point to himself, he pointed to God. Right, he pointed to God. Jesus, God in the flesh, word made flesh. Right, the one who actually deserves to say, that was me, that was about me, 100% right here, boom. Instead, he pointed to God knowing that that is the most healthy thing we can do for other people, is not point them to our own wisdom, but point them to God. He focused on the works of God instead of the imperfections of the leper. And if you and I are gonna follow Jesus and help people deconstruct, 
We need to keep that balance. We're spending less time worrying about their imperfections and their issues and more pointing them to the goodness of God and the character of who he is. That's our responsibility as believers, and they'll know it. They will see that. So um, this week in our small groups, we're gonna unpack the idea of making purple is what is, is the concept, and it, it's not about like political, but the truth is if you're, if you're blue uh, on some concepts and somebody's red about some concepts, you know, are you willing to find common ground and work those things out? Are you willing, friends, are you willing to share Jesus with somebody who does not vote like you do? There's sometimes that I come, honestly, full disclosure, there's sometimes in this, in this um, beautiful city that I see somebody with all, all of the bumper stickers and it takes everything in me not to gently nudge them with the front of my car, right? <laughs> Am I willing to share Jesus, to be vulnerable, to reach out, to hang with somebody who doesn't see things the way that I do? The truth is, it will make us better when we do that but it also will allow that person to see Jesus maybe in a new way. We're also gonna unpack the idea of the parable of the weeds. This is not a sermon, like it's, it's rarely used, like we, we rarely hear um, sermons on the parable of the weeds because it's a little hard to swallow. The whole idea is it's, it's, it's weeds and plants, healthy plants being those that are in Jesus and weeds, right? Meaning those who are not following Jesus. And there's this parable. I won't give you the, I won't, I won't tell you the end of the story. Um, Darth Vader is Luke's father, but anyway, I won't tell you the story. I know exactly. Uh, but the truth is, uh, you know, people were thinking, oh my gosh, Jesus, what do you mean to let the plant grow and let the weeds grow next to it? And he said, no, the, the most effective way is for them to grow together. And for some Christians, you're like, oh, you know what that means? Dang it. It means I can't just have little coups of people that are just like me. I can't fully live out the gospel if that's the way that I do it. And Jesus absolutely illustrated this beautifully when he connected with the shepherds. And not only that, with the shepherds, with the lepers. And then he says... Then he says, go and show yourself to the priests. And the reason for this is, it's not that he couldn't do it himself. It's that ceremonially, again, to, to Levitical law, in order for them to be clean, they needed to show themselves to the priests. So he showed them the way to healing. And you and I can do the same. We can not only show them to healing, we can give praise to God in the process. But you know what that means? We have to admit that we're not the genesis of all wisdom. And this is hard, y'all. I like when somebody says, oh my gosh, ask Amberly, she knows all the answers. There's like, there's a sick pleasure I get in that. I'm like, oh, stop, I don't know. Yes, I kind of do. I think I do, as a matter of fact. But what if I changed my goal into being the wisest person, into being the one that consistently, without fail, points people to God? Wow, big deal. Uh, that takes us to our next point, which is seek. Jesus asked questions. I think it's so interesting in this, in this situation with the lepers, he could have he he read this leper, the riot act, or the nine that didn't show up at all. But instead, he asked these questions. The, um, one of the Bible studies that I had the pleasure of writing is all about the questions of Jesus. You may not know this. I didn't know it, and I have degrees from Bible colleges. But as I was reading through, I couldn't get over how many times Jesus didn't give an answer, he asked a question. The next time you dive into his word, I mean, look at this, this is unbelievable. He totally does this, over 300 questions in the New Testament. And there's really only two or three that he like full on answers. So if we're gonna be like Jesus, 
what if we do that? What if we choose to ask questions? He says, weren't, weren't 10 cleansed? He asked these probing questions because he knew the human brain actually gets more investment when they're part of the answer. So my cute husband, one of the best things that ever happened in our marriage, truly, I don't know where he got it from, but it's brilliant. He learned a tactic early in our marriage. And again, two strong people. You can't put two strong people in a room, even if they're crazy about each other, even if they love each other so much, <laughs> without some kind of friction. But here's the deal. Let me tell you something great about my husband. I will give him a problem, and he has a solution every single time. <laughs> every time. Every time, right? And I'd go to him, and I'd share my heart, and this is what happened, and he would, he would pull out his mechanics hat. And he'd be like, well, you know what you need to do? And I'm like, punch you in the throat? Okay, thank you so much for that. Because that's what I wanted to do. And somewhere along the line, I don't, I don't know if a mentor gave it to him or it was just his own brilliance, but I would share my heart and he would say, would you like me to put on my, my mechanics hat or my friend hat? And every time, well, about 94% of the time, I would say friend hat. But here's what's interesting. If he put on his friend hat and he just listened and maybe asked a few questions, at the end, guess what? Then I wanted his perspective. I just wasn't ready. And when we come alongside people to bump them over the head with the Bible, to scripture them to death, may not be the answer. Maybe we should follow the example of Jesus and ask questions and say, I see you. I see you and I, I'm so sorry that this is your struggle. I, I'd, I'd love to come alongside you and be part of this journey, point you to Jesus in the process. And if we listen, and ask great questions, it's possible we'll then have permission to lead them to Jesus. And that's really, that's going and making disciples. That's going and making disciples for sure. So we have sight, schedule, strength, shepherd, source, and seek. You and I, this is practical as it can be, this beautiful example of Jesus. And I want you, I want to share with you a scripture that I think is just so, talk about delicious, so good, preaches on its own, but here's the deal. Romans 8, 5, 8 says this, Romans 8, 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what this means? That while we were in the weeds, spiritually, truly in the weeds, Christ died for us. Well, we were a disastrous mess, which both some of us are still, we're still, I always say we're a mess, that's why we need a mess, Saya, right? <laughs> While you and I were in the weeds, in, in reckless defiance against the truth and love of God, he died for us. And the question is, brother and sister, to you and to me, are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to put our pride aside? Are we willing to put our agenda aside? Are we willing to put our calendars aside and say, I want to walk this with you? But God proves his love for us, his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are we willing to return the favor to a community that needs it? Jesus, thank you so much for your example. Thank you that you call us to make purple, to associate with people who are not less than we are, but who are different than we are. Father, may we be practical in that. May we love people well. May we listen to them well. May we ask questions. And then when they give us permission to share our hearts, God, may we do it with boldness and kindness. May we love people well, Father. 
thank you so much for your love for each of us. Thank you for your love for my mom. And we trust you. And I pray that our lives were a testimony of how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.